you know, I would first tell them that they're the only ones that get to decide what they're capable of. Um, I feel like the world will put limitations on all of us. If you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. You know, I'm not going to say I don't have limitations. I do. But I get to decide what I'm capable of despite those limitations. So I would, I would definitely put that out there is that no matter where you're at or what you do or what you love to do, that you get to decide what you're capable of. Hey, this is Amberly Snyder, motivational speaker and barrel racer, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports, health, and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you Amberly Snyder, who's a professional barrel racer and a motivational speaker. And uh, Amberly's story of perseverance after a car accident that uh, left her paralyzed from the waist down back in 2010 is going to be the focus of our conversation today. But we're also going to touch on um, some health and safety topics in the sport of rodeo and also uh, toughness in the sport of rodeo. Uh, so, Amberly, thank you for coming on and for all the, the technical difficulties that we just experienced. Uh, but can you start off by talking about how you first got into rodeo? So, I have been riding horses since I was three years old. And when my family moved to Utah when I was seven, I told my dad I would only move if he got me a Palomino, which is like a golden color um, barrel horse when we got there. So, he followed through with that and I started competing at the age of seven. Good a little ultimatum there that you uh, that, that, with the move seems like it worked out in your favor. Um, yes, it definitely did. I mean, he could have he could have told me no, but he followed through and got it for me, and that's where it all started. Daddy's little girl. Keep, that's keep, right. Keep, keep his girl happy. Um, so, can you provide uh, some background information to the audience just about uh, the sport of rodeo um, for those who have like very basic understanding of what what, what it entails? Yeah. So, rodeo is a a sport that involves horses, um, whether they're the horses we're riding to rope on or the horses that, you know, run barrels, that, that side, as well as rough stock events. So that's going to be your horses that buck as well as your bulls that buck. And you just have um, events that cowboys can do and then the events that the cowgirls can do. And everything is timed or scored. Okay. Uh, and your area of expertise is the barrel racing, correct? Yes, sir. As a um, in professional rodeo, the girls can only barrel race. So that's what I've do now. I used to do a lot more events, but once you get to the professional level, it's usually just barrel racing. Why is that? I don't know. Um, the men just want all their sports, and they just allow us to do barrel racing. So that's what we're we can do. That's pretty messed up. Well, have you like tried <laughs> to to change any of that or? Some people have, but I think, you know, a lot of the time it's just the production's already so long with all the other events. And um, there is like a women's pro rodeo association that the women can do every event, but that's just those specific, um, you know, events that they put on. Okay. But um, at the pro rodeos that somebody would go to, you know, in their hometown, um, you're just going to see the women in the barrel racing. So there's, they say it's for time, but I'm sure there's like a monetization aspect to it as well. Um, like there you is know, with like, yeah, who knows, who knows why they decide to do that, but it is what it is. 
for another conversation, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So can you take us through uh, your car accident and kind of what led uh, to your injury? Yeah. So in 2010, January 10th of 2010, I was on my way to Denver, Colorado. They have the Western Stock Show out there. And I had gotten a job and was going over there to work for a couple of weeks. Um, I was going through Sinclair, Wyoming, and I looked down to check my map. When I looked up, I'd faded over a lane and was heading towards um, one of those reflector markers on the side of the road. So I grabbed my wheel to correct my truck, and it started sliding across the road. So in the end, we resulted in rolling and me being ejected and hit a fence post on the side of the road, which is what broke my back and injured my spinal cord. So, and you just happened to not be wearing a seatbelt at that point in time, or? I had stopped in Rollins, Wyoming, which is about 10 miles prior to Sinclair. And when I had gotten back in my vehicle, I'd had a stomachache that whole whole morning. So I thought, I'm going to take it off just for a minute. And so I had just taken it off. The wrong minute, I guess. Yeah, Um, the wrong minute. But I mean, obviously, you're lucky to be alive after being ejected from a, a car, or, you know, a car accident like that. Um, but what were your immediate, you know, thoughts? I guess going through your head when you were, you know, up against that the the pole on the side of the road, or the post. Um. Well, I didn't get knocked out during the entire thing, so I remember it all. So that's kind of different. And you know, at first, everything just kind of seems kind of surreal. You know, I saw my truck ahead of me and I saw everything I had in my truck sprawled around me and I went to do kind of a self-evaluation. You know, I felt my head and realized I was thinking, okay, I remembered everything. So I realized I was all right there. And I looked at my hands and moved my fingers and was like, okay, you know, those are okay. And at that point, um, when I looked down at my feet and tried to move my toes, I realized I felt like I was in warm water from the waist down. So I realized I couldn't move my toes and I started pinching rubbing at my legs and I couldn't feel that. And, you know, that's when it set in that, oh no, something is really wrong. Yeah. that kind of echoes the stories of some other spinal cord injury uh, guests I've had on, on the podcast as well. So I'm sure that that was, you know, scary initially. So, so then what happened? Like the, did an ambulance come or did someone drive by and, and see what happened or? Yeah. Somebody came by and saw what happened, came over and asked me, um, you know, what went wrong. And they got on the phone with 911 and um, the ambulance came a little while later. There was two other people that showed up as well. Um, one of them, I asked to get a blanket out of the passenger side of my truck. Um, I told him I don't feel cold, but I've got to be going into shock. And so he did that. And then the other woman actually brought me my phone and that I called my dad as I was sitting on the side of the highway. Oh, wow. So before anyone even kind of attended to you, you were talking to your parents and you had the wherewithal to know that you, you needed a blanket and that's yeah kind of kind of a crazy thing like it was i i don't know super calm it wasn't something that really freaked me out or anything i'm sure i would be freaking out <laughs> um and i i interviewed eric legrand once and he was saying how scared he was you know when when he had his injury um which was similar to to yours uh so once you like obviously you were on your way to a rodeo uh, event and rodeo was such a big part of your life. So when was the time when getting back on a horse first came into your thought process uh, after this injury? So the first time I got back on, well, the thought of it happened as I was sitting on the side of the road waiting for somebody to come, you know, it wasn't, I was thinking about that then, 
Um, it didn't, I didn't actually get the opportunity to do that until four months after my accident. And that was the first time I got back on a horse. Only four months after this? Oh yeah. I would have done it way earlier than that if I could have talked doctors and my mom into it. Okay. So when you get to the hospital, like what was their diagnosis and kind of like, what did, what did they see your outcome being? Um, when I told them what I did, um, when I said I read horses, when can I get back on a horse? You know, they responded to me and said, you're probably going to need to find something else. And I was like, what? No, like you don't get it. You know, riding horses is not, it's not just what I do. I mean, it's, it's a part of me. It's a part of who I am as a person. So you can't just tell me I have to go find something else. That would be telling me to be a whole different person. So right. I, um, I mean, I didn't care what they said. I knew I was going to get back on. It didn't matter what I had to do in order for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's, I kind of know that feeling. Like, I was told that I couldn't play football ever again. I kind of felt, you know, football to me was like, you know, riding horses and rodeo to you. And when I was told I couldn't play anymore, it was, like, devastating. So, ha had you ever seen anyone, um, like, an adaptive athlete ride horses before your accident? Like, did you know that it was still a possibility for you? Or, or like, was um, it the last? I am, well, I'm the first and only barrel racer in the United States that is paralyzed. What? So, yeah. So I had to figure that out on my own. <laughs> wow. So yeah. So you really like kind of blazed the trail for a whole bunch of other athletes. That's that's amazing. So I guess how did you adapt? You know, the the horse. I guess rig or setup to make it work for you. So I have a. It was a, well. It was a process of trial and error. You know, it's a roller coaster ride to figure something like that out. So I have a seat belt on my saddle that we cut out of a junkyard car, and that was the first piece. And I rode with that for a while. Uh, well, not really that long. I rode with that for um, just to try it out. First time I had nothing, and it was terrible. I had no balance. I was not comfortable. Um, truly one of the happiest places that I ever had all of a sudden was not even comfortable. So we got the seatbelt on my saddle, and I felt more balanced, so that was the first piece. And then my legs were so flaccid when I would try to go faster that my horse wasn't sure what I was asking. So we got Velcro straps to go around my legs. My feet are rubber banded in. Um, I have a nylon strap across my left hip, which is a piece I actually figured out the next year. And I sit on a seat of air um, to keep from getting any saddle sores. So all those were like kind of trial and error to get to where I'm at now with my saddle. Okay. I, I guess my, my next question is what are the role of, this is like kind of a, for someone who's ignorant to what it entails to ride a horse is like, what are the roles of your legs? Like what are your legs used for um, when you're riding a horse? Like, and why is, what made it difficult in that transition? Um, anyone who is around horses will will tell you that your legs is your legs are super important um i mean that's how people communicate with their horses is with their legs so to try to do it differently is you know it's the same as like a car you know you drive you drive your car with your feet and so now all of a sudden you have to try to do something different now those pedals are still there so it's not like my horse, you know, somebody can get on my horse with their legs and they can do it. But I had to have him understand with a different form of communication on how he should react when I ask something. 
Gotcha. So, you know, is this, is this the whole same horse that you've always been riding on and you had to like retrain that particular horse or is it kind of like a, you can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing and you need to like, you know, take a, a young horse and kind of teach him the, the or, or her the ropes? Um, I've done both. So I ran my horse, um, his name is Power, and Power was the last horse I trained with my legs. So I ran him for a few years, and then I got a young horse that uh, I trained. So I've done both. Okay. So now how do you use your hands to communicate with the, with the horse, or is it something else? Um, yeah, I use my hands and my voice now. So depending on where I place my hands is kind of what I'm asking them to do. Um, I also use my voice as more of like my gas pedal. So if I like cluck at them, which is like a if I make that noise, they usually know I'm asking them to kind of pay attention or do a drill. Um, if I kiss at them, then they know that they're supposed to be going faster. Okay. Get get they get a a gift for going faster. You you'll give them a little kiss. Um, yeah, exactly. So, what was like the most difficult part of your recovery? I guess kind of like going back onto your horse and like you know how far along the recovery process were you when you got back on like how much did you still have to conquer and I, you know what are you still doing today um well i mean i was only four months after an accident so everything was still really really new yeah, that's um, fresh you know your your balance is super off the way your body works is off the way it moves what you have to do i mean now you're doing twice as much work with your arms because it has to make up for what your legs can't do um all of that is was a definite process. Um, and even riding the same thing, you know, when your balance is off and your back doesn't hold you like it used to, and you have to try to figure out how to still stay in the middle of a horse, all of that is a process. Um, I feel like it's, it's gotten better, um, in some ways and in other ways it's gotten harder. So my, my back, um, is just not as strong as it, used to be. And so sometimes that can be a challenge when it comes to riding horses. But all in all, I feel like I've definitely obviously improved from when I very first started after my accident. You know, I have more figured out and now I've started training my own. So all of that is a positive. Okay. And did you ever have any like reservations getting back on the horse or like you were dead set on getting on so you weren't like nervous or scared or anything? Yeah, never, never was nervous, um, not scared. Um, I've only, yeah, not really, you know, I just, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, and so getting back on wasn't necessarily nerve wracking. It was hard that very first time I got back on. I feel like it was harder than the day they told me I would never walk again because all of a sudden my happy place was not even comfortable anymore. And that was super devastating. So I had to work through that definitely emotionally to just handle that it was going to be different. It's always going to be different. And so you just have to figure out what you can do with what you're capable of. Okay. So it was, you're saying like to make it your happy place again, you kind of shifted your mindset um, or your expectations or am I reading that right? Or Yeah. Yep. That's what I did. So I rode through the first summer. And then in August of 2010, I actually took a break. Um, I went nine months without my horses. I went to school for my first semester of college. Um, just tried to get used to the life in the wheelchair and then came back and was ready to take it on. Okay. A, you know, 
just different. You know, your expectations and your thoughts, like you said, those have to be, I don't know, you just, every challenge is hard. And so I just, I feel like I wasn't quite ready to face that when I still needed to figure out how to live life in a chair. And then I could come back and handle that challenge again. Yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. And um, another spinal cord injury guest that I had, uh, Chris uh, Norton, uh, he's a football player. And he, that's what he, he says something similar. He's like, I, I can't ever compare myself to, I guess, your quote unquote able bodied self, because if he did that, he would never be happy. Um, so it's kind of like adjusting your expectations and comparing yourself to where you started with your injury and kind of see like how far you've come. Cause that, that, that's incredible. Um, would you say that the most difficult part of your recovery was the horse part and like dealing with that emotionally when you first got on, uh, like you mentioned, or was it the, the day to day, just living, you know, normal life in, in a chair? Um, was that more difficult? You know they're kind of in their own different ways. Um, life to life stuff can kind of get irritating, you know, to go from somebody that was five, nine, um, and never had to ask anybody to reach anything for them. And now if it's up high, I can't get it. So little stuff like that's like irritating. Um, and gosh, I try to think back to the beginning, how, if I would have answered it differently, but now I feel like the life to life, it kind of just is what it is and you make the best of it. But the horse part is still a daily challenge. I mean, mentally, physically, all of that, because I don't know, you say you, it's hard, you know, you want to compare yourself to what you could do when your legs worked. And I struggle not doing that. So because I know what I was capable of doing and that can still be frustrating. So you're saying to this day, it's still something that kind of you, you think about. Oh, all day. <laughs> I don't think I stop thinking about it. Yeah. And I think that's normal too. I think it's like, I think athletes need to, you know, not be ashamed by having those thoughts or like, you know, like I'm living in the past or whatever, because I'm like, I think that's normal. I feel like that's what like everyone does. I I still do it too. So. Yeah. Well, it's just, if you want to be the best you can be, it's hard. And it's something that I work on, you know, but you know, it's hard not to think of, okay, what can I do to be better? And what can I control to be better? And what can't I control to be better? But it's just that, that concept of wanting to improve anything in any way. Right. Uh, and you've reached incredible heights. I mean, you're a professional um, barrel racer. So, you know, can you kind of talk about how you got from, you know, getting back and struggling, getting back onto the horse to going on to a, a collegiate career and, and now professional career? Um, so that was a process for sure. You know, at the beginning, it was just being able to get back on. The very first run I made was 18 months after my accident, and I ran one second off of what I did before. Wow. So that was that was encouraging to be able to be close. Um, and once I knew I could ride, then I just wanted to get better. And so once I was at a level I felt like I could compete on the college, you know, on the college level, then I started entering that. And then I got my pro rodeo permit a couple years ago. And in order to get your card where I'm at now, you have to win a certain amount of money to get there. And that took me, the first season was kind of rough. Um, I ran my older horse. I didn't have a younger one yet. So I ran my older horse and he was close, but we didn't quite fill it. So the second one, it only took me, I think, uh, a couple a couple weekends and we had filled it. So that part was pretty exciting to have a young horse that was capable of running with anybody and everybody. It didn't matter who was there. Right. So how much does it have to do with the horse and how much does it have to do with the rider? Just from like a person who 
you know, is not familiar with the, the sport uh, standpoint? Well, you have to have a horse that has the ability. You know, I feel like in any sport, you have a set ability. And then once, you know, once you have that ability, then your hard work is going to play a big role. So the horse, not every horse in the world is going to be able to run at the caliber mine does. It's just, they're just not physically made that way. Right. Just like humans, you know, you're just not physically made that way. But um, I, I think that it is definitely a team aspect. You know, you can't also go out there and have a horse that's really nice and somebody that doesn't know how to ride well or communicate with that horse and have them also be successful. So it is a real team thing. Um, I I honestly will give more credit to the horse, I think, because you can be the greatest rider in the whole wide world. And if you have a horse that isn't, you're not going to be successful. Right. So, yeah, no matter how good you are, right, personally. Yeah. Yeah, no matter how good you are. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give horses a little more credit than the riders just for that concept. So have the horses have you noticed that the horses kind of work with you differently uh since like being in a chair? I'm just talking in terms of like getting on the chair and kind of helping you get off. Like have you like how have you adjusted that process? Um, all of that is different, but still possible. So I have figured out how I can lift myself on my horse, um, which is awesome to have discovered. I actually can pull myself on using like a ladder or a fence and then holding the saddle horn, I can pull myself on my horse. So that part was really hard to accomplish. Now I don't do it all the time anymore because I've realized I only get one set of shoulders. So you have to be careful with what you have. Yeah. But that kind of concept, you know, learning how to do that and then the saddling and being around them in my chair some horses take it really well, like they don't even notice, and other horses are scared of you. So mine are all really good now, and realistically, none of them were really bad. Like none of them ran away from me or anything. A few of them kind of looked at me funny, um, but none of them ran away from me, and I think that's because they knew me. But it is a process. I mean, it's it's definitely a change is what I want to say. It's different for them to see you wheeling towards them on something they don't really recognize versus walking to them. Right. So overall, you said that they were pretty accepting of the change. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even new horses are pretty accepting. Okay, cool. I was just, I was curious. Um, we kind of talked about this earlier in, in the conversation about how in professional rodeo, um, kind of female, the female athletes only do barrel racing. But can you kind of talk on like the culture of toughness and masculinity that exists in rodeo? Uh, I, I asked because I'm interested in it. Uh, I'm a football guy. So like I'm interested in it from a, a football and like American society perspective. I'm just curious what that looks like in the sport of rodeo. Like the toughness of it? Yeah. Toughness and like, you know, it's like cowboys and, you know, like I guess riding through injuries and, you know, trying to, you know, make risky maneuvers or, you know, that kind of stuff. I would say pretty confidently that the cowboys in general, especially your, your rough stock riders, they are seriously made of steel. Like, I mean, you'll have one of them go out and get completely smashed by a 2000 pound animal and they want to stand up and walk out of the arena. And so you look at that as other sports, and I don't mean that other sports are not, you know, you have to be tough to be an athlete. I have, I have, we have baseball in my family. My dad was a major league baseball player. My brother plays baseball. 
So I have we're around athletes in that aspect too. But man, if you saw, I mean, I'm saying if you had a baseball player, a football player get smashed in the head by a bull, they're not going to stand up and walk out of that arena. So it is a really tough sport. It is really dangerous. And that goes along with it. Uh, the other you, crazy, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you finish. I was going to say the other crazy thing about rodeo versus other sports is that you only get paid when you do well. So I feel like that also plays a role on the mental, on the mental aspect that you know that if you don't do well and you don't get to compete, you don't get a paycheck. And I think that changes the outlook sometimes. Well, yeah, because then you're more willing to take that extra risk, I guess, with whatever the situation might present, um, which puts you further at risk of injury, just in the hopes of getting paid, right? Seriously. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I, I, I grasped that. So in, in comparison to like football, you know, a lot of the complaints, I guess, from like the players and the player association is that they don't have a lot of guarantee money like like baseball players and basketball players have but you're saying that rodeo drivers have even or riders have even less uh guaranteed money than than the than football players well yeah the second that you don't go out into the arena anymore you're not making any more money so if you've and and, and say if you are entered for three weeks in rodeos and you get hurt, you get fined for every rodeo you're not at that you what? were entered in. Yeah. So you can be racking up fines just because you got hurt. How is that okay? Um, that's a whole different, very political topic on just the way that the rodeo oh, okay. association works. But yeah, it's just, I mean, if you're, if you're entered and you don't show up, there is going to be a fine with that. Now, if it's a medical release, um, obviously those fines, for instance, I just on mine, I don't, I can't talk about the Cowboys. I don't know their numbers so much, but as a braille racer, um, I broke my femur this summer, um, July 3rd, my horse fell and snapped my femur. So wow. I was, yeah. So I was entered, um, just that 4th of July week in eight rodeos. So with, I was able to vet release. So I was able to get a release. Um, I still had to pay, you know, I paid $20 a rodeo that I didn't show up to. Which is not that much money, but I mean, you're still paying to not even be there. Right. Is there like a union for professional uh, rodeo athletes? I don't know if that would even do anything, but I, there, I don't think there is one. I'm just thinking because like all the other, you know, major sports leagues have unions for the players. so. And they kind of like would collectively bargain to make that not a thing, like to get punished for getting hurt, you know? <laughs> yeah, you would think that that should happen. I feel like that you would think that that should exist for sure. I agree with that. So how common is it for, you know, rodeo athletes to ride injured, you know, with pretty severe injuries to kind of avoid some of these penalties or to get the money that they need to survive? Um, I would say that especially your rough stock athletes, so the ones that are riding bulls and bucking horses, um, I'm going to say that at least half of them probably ride injured. Um, and that's not, not all of those are severe injuries. Of course, some of those might just be like a sprained wrist or, you know, a sprained ankle or broken something. That's not that big of a deal. Um, but I feel like if you ask any rough stock rider if they hurt in that moment, they're going to say yes. Something hurts. Right. 
and rough stock means like like bull riders or what? yep the bull riders and the bronc riders okay the i mean bronc is like yeah. a horse right yep yep like horses that are bucking and i mean your other your other athletes your your ropers and your barrel racers i'm not gonna say that they i just just the chances of them getting hurt is not as high so i don't think that they have to compete necessarily injured as often gotcha all right, that was really interesting. I learned a, a ton about the kind of the sport of rodeo and how their inner workings work. Um, but what health and safety precautions are taken to prevent injuries uh, within the sport of rodeo, like it, with equipment or rules or any anything? Uh, yeah, there are, there are actually quite a few rules and guidelines put in both for the athletes and for the animals. Because, um, you know, some people stress about if the calves are getting hurt when they're getting roped or the steers and they're not, we, we really do everything in our power to make sure that they are taken care of, especially, I mean, the way that they're fed is royally. I mean, they all are taken care of very well. And if something has been bucked or roped, it's usually going to get like a rest period after, um, nothing is going to be overrun. Uh, same with our horses. Like our, I'll tell you that my horses get, more taken care of than I do any day and every day of the week. And anyone who is an athlete in the rodeo world would probably say the same thing about theirs. Um, so that is definitely put in as well as for the, you know, for riders, there's, um, you know, there's safety equipment that you can use if you're, if you're riding or for me, even, you know, you have shin guards that you can use for your legs in case you hit a barrel. Um, you can, your horses are going to be, they have safety boots on their, on their feet so that they're taken care of. So I feel like there, there's quite a bit that goes into it. It still is a dangerous sport, but there is, we, we try to be precautious. Right. And I guess like, where is the inherent danger within the sport? Is it because you're kind of riding something with a mind of its own or like, how do you kind of like mitigate risks in, in the sport of rodeo? Definitely. I think the mind of its own plays a big plays a big part. I also think that, you know, the ground that you ride on. So you think about in football or in baseball that like you have this perfectly groomed field, right? That that's what you're, you're going to be competing on. Rodeo is not really like that. <laughs> um, you're going to be competing on, oh my gosh, all sorts of dirt that I can't, it would take forever. I mean, just even think about just all sorts of different environments Plus, you're going to ride whether it's snowing, raining, sleeting, sunshine, rodeos go on. So I think that plays a role, too, on top of you're competing on animals that have a mind of their own. You know, your football is never going to come back and get you in the back. Right. You're, you know, your horse or your bull, they could. Yeah, I think that definitely is an add an element that you just of the unknown. You 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 never know like what could really happen. Um, so you said that you you broke your femur. Like, what other injuries have you sustained throughout your career? And I guess like, you know, what do you do to kind of prioritize your health and stay healthy and kind of maximize the longevity of your career? Um, I was pretty lucky before my accident. You know just bumps and bruises and stuff on my knees. If I hit barrels, um, you twist a few ankles here and there, just depending on what you're doing, but that's not really a big deal. I did fracture my neck once, um, when I was 17 or 16, I don't remember. 
Um, I had a horse somersault in a barrel pattern and fractured my neck. Um, I didn't say anything because I still wanted to compete for three days. So I just kind of hung in there, even though I couldn't really grip in one of my arms. I don't, you know, you don't mention that until you get home and then you go get checked out because you don't want to not be competing. So I had that. Jeez. Um, yeah, but I... Where, where, where did that mentality come from? Uh, of know, like you know, I, not saying that you're hurt and trying to finish out the rodeo. Well, you know, if you say something that, you know, it's going to be recommended that maybe you shouldn't finish the weekend. So you got to just take that for what it is. I feel right. like it's just part of being around the rodeo world. Uh, my family's really hardworking and really persevering and dedicated to what we do. So, you know, no matter what the injury is, if you can work through it, we want to. <laughs> so that was before my accident. Obviously, since then, um, I ride with a broken back. But I've shattered a kneecap hitting a barrel. Um, I broke my femur. And um, I did have a horse buck and, and break my nose and beat it up a little bit this year as well. So that's probably it, though. Jeez, that sounds like a rough sport, <laughs> rougher than football, it sounds like. <laughs> it can um, be in some ways, absolutely. I mean, you go in and you know you're going to take a hit. You know, we hope we aren't going to, but the, there is a chance it'll happen. Yeah, it's uh, unknown. You like can't even prepare for it all the time, it sounds like. Um I, I always ask the question of like, you know, where that mentality came from, because to me, that's kind of, I don't know how much you know about my story, but the the severity of my brain injury was because that was my mentality. I was like, oh, I have a headache, which was my indication that I had a concussion, but I was like, yeah, I'm probably fine. I kept playing and then it turned into something that almost killed me. So uh, I'm just curious to see what that, what it's like in other sports. And it's obviously apparent in, in rodeo as well. Well, yeah, you, so you can relate, you know, you're like, if I'm, if I'm living through it, it's probably not that bad. Right. But you know, how can that work against you in rodeo? Like, and have you seen any or experienced that yourself or like, does your performance get hindered by, you know, riding hurt or do you get hurt further or do you make some sort of mistake or does the horse not respond to you as well? Like, is there any kind of backlash from playing hurt? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that anytime somebody's hurt, you're not going to compete to the best of your ability. You just can't. <laughs> um, so if you if you're riding injured, you know you know you're not going to be at, at that highest level that you could be. You might be able to still get by for a while, but most of the time when you're hurt, if you are severe enough that say you have to get surgery, you'll probably ride through the season and just to get by. And if you can, if you can still make money in place that way, and then you're going to get it taken care of for the next season. Yeah, like it is in, in most sports. Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But I always say like, you know, I was performing at like 50% of my capacity, you know, trying to just like survive out there as opposed to actually like performing to the best of my ability. And had I waited a couple of weeks, you know, maybe it, things would have been different. So. I can agree. I I feel like the rodeo world is very similar to that too. It, with Whether okay. it's you as a person or even your horse as an athlete. You know, if you continue to push your horse when they're not 100%, then they're not going to be able to give you that whole effort that you could have gone out and been winning instead of not. So how do you guys approach like recovery for the horses? You know, cause a lot of the athletes that come on the show talk about the importance of recovery in staying healthy and preventing injuries. So I'm curious, like how you guys take care of the horse and like, what's, what's your approach to, to keep them healthy? Um, you know, you're going to pay attention. If you're around your horses enough, you're going to know when something's bothering them. So 
if something is, then you're going to take them into chiropractics, um, into your vet, and have them do a check over, whether they've got to do x-rays, um, flexion tests, whatever you've got to do. Like you would an athlete, you know, you're going to check, make a di diagnosis on what's going on, and then go from there. Um, you can give them injections. So you can inject into their joints in order to make things more comfortable. Um, and then you're going to have to have time off sometimes. And in that time off, you might turn them out and just let them get a whole break, depending on how severe it is. Or you might be able to just ride them lightly and until they've recovered. And until, you know, your vet can check them over and say, yep, this horse is sound and happy, then you can't run them or you shouldn't run them, I guess. And that we have things where like we have like aqua tread. So it's like a treadmill that's on water. Um, we run horses on those too. That helps, um, you know, that helps get them legged back up and back into shape. So there's all of those options really, but there I'm like horses in the rodeo world are just like athletes anywhere else. Like they get treated like athletes. They get rubbed down after they get warmed up. They get, you know, quote unquote ice baths on their legs. Like they, I mean, they get everything. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I think that's all translatable things to like human performance as well. And I remember you said earlier that you only have one set of shoulders. So you try to, you know, take it easy on that. Like what else do you do to kind of, I guess, maximize the longevity of your career, your rodeo career? Um, you, you know, you try to stay in shape as best as you possibly can. And for me, it's going to be a little different than other athletes because, you know, my back doesn't necessarily take hits as well. Like, it doesn't absorb shock as well as it should. The metal in it obviously makes a difference. So um, I try to make sure that, like, I try to stay up on my chiropractor. I have, like, magnets that I put on it to try to keep the blood flow right. Try to have enough downtime to make sure that it can recover if it's been hard. And I think other people are the same way. It's just the downtime and the recovery. And if you feel like something is off, to instead of work through it for a long period of time, you know, go get something diagnosed. And I, I'm trying to be better about that, that if something is really bothering me that I don't just suck it up and get over it, you know, I try to get it looked at. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 26. Yeah, I'm 27 and I'm at the same age, but I, I could just picture you like five years earlier versus like what you are now. And I'm like, yeah, this is exactly the same thing. Cause uh -huh. now I'm like the conservative guy trying to like make sure that I could still, you know, I'm in for the long haul now, not like for the here and now, well, you know, a little so. bit, right? Like your mentality changes a little bit. Cause at first it doesn't matter if I get hurt, you know, what? it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. And then you, when you start waking up in the morning and you're like, man, I probably should have taken better care of this. Yeah. yeah. So the, for the, those who are under 27 out there who still think they're invisible, in, invincible, uh, hopefully listen to this so you can have a little longer career than I did at least. Uh, so you said your dad played Major League Baseball. Did he kind of like teach you and your brothers like anything uh, from his experience in the Major Leagues that you kind of like translated into uh, your professional sport today? You know, my dad definitely knew how to work hard. Um, he knew how to be dedicated. And that attitude and that mentality, I think, applies to everything, whether it's sports or not. So I definitely feel like that his mentality of that has translated for sure. Um, and it's not just, I mean, there's six kids in my family, so all of us have had that. My sister was a gymnast, and then me with rodeo, my brothers with baseball. 
Um, my little sister rodeos with me as well. And so we've all learned that, you know, without hard work, you can't do well. Our favorite, my mom's favorite quote, she has it hanging in our house, is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. So I love that too. We have always all lived by that. You know, you can be talented and we're blessed to be talented. But if we're not willing to work hard, then it's not going to be the outshining piece in the end. Right. I think I heard like a Tim Tebow quote who he, when he like says something like that in like a documentary or something, but uh, yeah, I, I like that quote as well. Uh, so as we kind of wrap up the interview here, uh, what advice do you have for athletes who suffer life altering injuries? You know, I would first tell them that they're the only ones that get to decide what they're capable of. Um, I feel like the world will put limitations on all of us. If you can't do that, you can't do that. You can't do that. You know, I'm not going to say I don't have limitations. I do. But I get to decide what I'm capable of despite those limitations. So I would I would definitely put that out there is that no matter where you're at or what you do or what you love to do, that you get to decide what you're capable of. Yeah, that's great. Uh, is that similar to the message that you kind of project in your speaking engagements? I know you do a lot of speaking, right? I do. I do. I speak a lot and I love it. And I now that I'm graduated from school, I want to do more. But... Um, yeah, I do. I try to tell people that hard stuff happens to all of us and it might not look just like mine, but we all have those challenges and you're stronger than you think and you are capable of overcoming them regardless of what they are. All right. I'm inspired. So Amberly, I heard you're, uh, you're, you're writing a, a children's book. Um, can you explain, you know, what, what that book's about and, and where people can find it? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been wanting to write a book for a long time and have been busy enough that I haven't caught quite around to it. But when I broke my femur this last summer, I obviously had a little bit of downtime. So I decided to do a children's book to start with. And it's just a little rhyme of a book that really just tells my story of, you know, loving horses in the beginning and where I've gotten to now. So I hope to have it up soon and hopefully everyone will enjoy it. I'm sure they will. I mean, you have an incredible story, an incredible message to to get out there. And uh, where can people buy the book? Is it going to be on Amazon or? It will be on Amazon when I get it up. And so um, I'll get you the link for that and they can buy it on Amazon. They can also come through any of my social media and buy it directly from me. Um, we'll do it either way. Great. Now, I, I have a bookstore for the Heads and Tails podcast for all my guests who have books um, so people can find it on the Heads and Tails podcast, so headsandtails.org backslash podcast, and the, the book will be there as well. Perfect. Uh, so where can people find you on, online and social media and, and book you for these speaking engagements and uh, connect with you? They can find me um, on any of the social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. I'm not very good at Twitter, but I have that. Twitter, Snapchat, any of those. Um, they can also find me on my website, which is amberlysnyder.org. Um, you have to spell it A-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y, Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R dot org. That's my website. They can go to and they can get a hold of me in any of those places. All right. And I'll link all those up in, in the show notes. And I'm curious to hear what your definition is of toughness. This is how I finish most of my, my interviews, especially with the athletes, um, based off of what we talked about earlier. So what is your definition of toughness today at 26 years old? Uh, I would say my definition of toughness would have to be that you push yourself beyond the limits of what you thought you could do. And 
in order to push yourself past those limits, you've got to be tough. I like it. Thank you very much, Amberly, for coming on the show and sharing your story and teaching us about the sport of rodeo and helping save the aspects and uh, talking about your own story of uh, perseverance. And I, I really appreciate it. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. 